0: Funds for Bookworm are provided in part by Lannan Foundation. Where would we be without Books? Where would we be without Bookworms? It's a rhetorical question, sir. But where would we be without Books? From KCRW and KCRW.com. I'm Michael Silverblatt, and welcome to Bookworm, one of my favorite writers, a writer I've only um, known for the last, oh, 10 years. I think that she's a marvel. Her name is Tessa Hadley. Many of her short stories systematically appear in The New Yorker, where she is very much admired, and she is the author of a new book, a terrific book, Free Love. Now, the book takes place in 1967. I want to acknowledge that when I was living in Bologna in around 1967, what the Italian men wanted to speak to me about in the youth hostel where I was staying was Amore Libre, They couldn't get enough of free love. It defined the times for them, and when they heard I was from America, they would ask Americans and the English all about free love. So tell me, Tessa Hadley, about London in 1967.
1: I was a child, in fact, in 1967, but I remembered it when it came to plunging down into that world. A grey England of drizzle and (laughs) bowler-hatted men yielded to something multicoloured, dazzling, doped, loud... I don't know if you've been watching that Beatles documentary recently, but that seemed to encapsulate it so perfectly. And a counterculture grew up as, of course, I I think it really comes first in America, but there we catch it and it's happening in Paris and in Berlin. And a, a whole eruption of absolute difference, as if you could just throw away hierarchy, deference, respectability, and step out into
0: freedom. Everything changed. The clothing people wore changed. The music people listened to changed. This was the end of a certain kind of conservatism and the beginning of a counterculture that called itself a counterculture and believed that everything could be altered. Now, in your book, Free Love, we're talking in particular about a change that occurs in a household, a very well-kept, what would you say, conservative household?
1: Conservatives a complicated word in Britain, of course, because it means two things. It means with a small c, conservative in its mores, in its practices, but it also, with a large c, means our right-wing political party, My man, my husband in this bourgeois household in the novel, is he works in the Foreign Office, he's part of the civil service, he's part of the establishment, but he's actually a Labour voter. I think that's fairly clear. And he's working for a Labour prime minister who has, interestingly, recently declined to go into Vietnam in support of the U.S., conservative with a small c is not always all that it seems. And I absolutely didn't want to set up in the novel a a simplistic opposition between right-wing baddies and left-wing goodies.
0: Exactly. Let's say that we're visiting the household of a family who are distinctly members of the bourgeoisie, and somehow or other, the woman who is at the center of this book, Phyllis Fisher, awakens to new possibilities, and she discovers that her beautifully kept, clean house, her beautiful clothing, her ability to stay chipper no matter what has begun to bore her. And Mm. they have a house guest visiting who they knew Phyllis and her husband Roger, when he was a mere baby, a boy now grown up, named Nicky. He was a boring child, they remember, but he is a counterculture adult. When we first meet him, he's reading Triste Tropique by Levi Strauss, which was a book that I was assigned to read in school. I found it as your Nikki finds it I found it fascinating and beautifully written.
1: And it's so sad, which is what I give Nikki to say about it. It's a desolating book. Desolating. It's one of the great rhetorical indictments of Western civilization, isn't it? It's 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 set with the young anthropologist Levi Strauss traveling in his youth in South America and finding what he imagines as the, the sad leftovers of Amazonian Indian peoples destroyed and decayed from inside through their contact with the Western world. And he, in, a, in an immensely French way, sort of yields to this I, I'm now going to use a German word this Weltschmerz, this sort of great <laughs> world sorrow of things passing and things being lost. I don't, it just seemed nice to put that in at the beginning of my book, which in some ways is about a moment of people looking with perhaps naive hopefulness forwards, but to have a note of of deep, nostalgic grieving.
0: At the time, Levi Strauss was one of the voices of his time. And similarly, Nicky is working on an article on the psychologist R.D. Lang, another one of the influential voices mm-hmm. of his time. R.D. Lang was asking culture to reconsider what madness is, and whether it may not be valuable to life, as opposed to a um, difficulty to be overseen and outgrown. Uh, So we're, you know, very definitely London, 1967, and this young Nicky in our very first chapter is coming to dinner at Phyllis's house and at their very first meeting in the dark of a garden searching for a neighbor's lost sandal, in a fountain out in the neighbor's backyard um, they kiss and it is the impulse in our heroine do we still call her a heroine our modern mm. woman phyllis um it's her impulse to fall in love she's been kissed mm. she's been touched at first when she touched Nicky's back when he came late to the house She felt that he was rejecting her, pushing her away. But in fact, they find themselves kissing and she can barely wait to see him again. And we're going to travel with Phyllis from her suburb. What is the name of that suburb?
1: Uh, It's called Otterley. I invented it. It stands in (laughs) for a lot of sort of similar home counties, small towns. She is going
0: to travel to London. She takes the train. Nicky is so happy in their first encounter that he asks her, can you come back tomorrow? And um, she, gaining some of her power and distance, says, I can come back next Wednesday. <laughs> um, Wednesday is her day off. And <laughs> this is going yes. to be the day on which This relationship develops its feet and feeling. Now, suddenly, she's in, I guess, what was once a beautiful house, now a housing project. It once had 60 apartments. Now those very apartments have been divided and subdivided.
1: I took liberties in making it Art Deco. I've invented this Everglade, this block. I had enormous fun doing it.
0: Well, in this book, Free Love, it's a pleasure to be there at the Everglade because all sorts of hippies, would-be thinkers, casualties of lost marriages, explorers of new relationships. Phyllis develops a friendship with a black woman who has nothing to do with this world of counterculture. She is studying to be a nurse, and Mm -hmm. she wants to have the rights of her race to have whatever is available to anyone. And she is a very strong woman and a very interesting example for Phyllis.
1: Yes, when Phyllis imagines she's come to a world of people all engaged in free love, who are all playing and will nobody could be judging what she's up to with Nikki. And the first time she encounters Barbara Jones, the black nurse, she's actually shocked and taken aback to realise that somebody in the space that she thinks is her magic space for free love is judging her and is condemning her, in fact. the, The two women, painfully, with some complexity, win their way, I think, to a genuine friendship, careful friendship. But yes, Barbara is there renting a cheap room because she has to be quite different from even Nicky, if you like, who is disdaining his heritage. He actually comes from a privileged family and there's money in the family. And he's choosing, he's opting to be there dropping out. Great difference. And somebody at some point in the book says, and I did steal this from from life, you know, when when all the white boys are cutting their hair and going back to daddy's firm as it were the black boys will still be left where they you know in the same place so it's an interesting piece of intersection that one
0: yes indeed if you listeners want to be as i frequently do a visitor to london in 1967 the book for you is free love By my guest Tessa Hadley. Before we know it, Phyllis's children are visiting her, where she and her new and much younger lover Nicky are keeping an apartment. She, Phyllis, leaves her husband Roger behind as so many people do as they explore a new kind of coupling and possibility. Nicky somehow does love Phyllis, and yet he is young and a representative of his generation. I remember hearing again and again when I was living in New York at that time, my generation of people were saying, never trust anyone over 30. And so Nicky is of that brood, and Phyllis is over 30. <laughs> so the development of trust and love is very complex. Phyllis has two children, one a beautiful boy named Hugh, and the other is a girl who's been named Colette, although she thinks that she is nothing like the French writer after whom she's been named. And it's very, very interesting to see the interaction Between the bourgeoisie and a new culture who are willing to, for instance, teach this daughter to smoke grass in a circle, sitting around in a room with very little furniture except for a couch... Oh Tessa I remember those rooms I guess you say you were younger but
1: <laughs> no no but, you but you it was I'm them. not I'm actually we we're, we're, we're almost of an age Michael and I too can remember those rooms with only a couch in and those circles and all of that learning and initiation it had you know it it's so interesting what you're talking about and what I'm writing about it it did happen in the 60s but it, actually in the 60s it happened to a small circle of magically initiated people, a few, a distinguished few. And it kind of took till I was 15 and 16 for it to begin spreading out across Britain into teenagers' bedrooms everywhere and youth clubs everywhere. I sort of think, you know, I mean, those, those scenes were special and extraordinary in 1967, and then they were widespread in 1973
0: and 1974 yes we 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 end up saying here at least that the 60s really for most people began in 1972 and lasted absolutely. into the early 80s um, absolutely. and absolutely <laughs> one of the things that fascinated me in free love is the number of mirrors that are found in the book did you design this intentionally cuz the first time we see Phyllis she's sitting in front of a mirror later someone has a pocket mirror that he takes out to look at his eyes you know there's mirroring seems to be a peculiar subsubject of this novel
1: and and you know I think I do it everywhere. I don't even just think it's this novel. Uh, there's a <laughs> there's a material and practical explanation, which is my mum is a great putter up of mirrors, and I grew up in a house full of mirrors. She's a very attractive woman. She still is at ninety, and uh, she she likes mirrors everywhere. So it's partly simply that, but of course it isn't that. I, I'm I'm very I'm very interested in the way people perceive themselves and the way they perform a role and they watch themselves as if they're a little outside of themselves, creating themselves. And that's what they're doing when they check in the mirror, when when they put on their performance in the mirror, when the significant scenes they enact are reflected back to them in the mirror as if they're watching themselves.
0: It's not very easy to do, One of the things that Gore Vidal once said when he went through bestsellers is one of the marks of a bad book is a character talking to him or herself in the mirror. Here... We're talking about a different kind of mirroring entirely. It's as if these characters need to see themselves to be sure that they exist. I'm Michael Silverblatt, and you're listening to KCRW's Bookworm. I'm talking with the magnificent Tessa Hadley. She is living in Well, staying in London right now, we're talking on the phone to London, and we're talking about her new book, Free Love. We'll continue after this short break.
2: I want to tell you about a new show from the Financial Times called Life and Art from FT Weekend, hosted by me, Lila Raptopoulos. Life and Art is twice a week. On Mondays, I have a guest on to talk about life and how to live a good one. Everything from winter travel, to cooking, to living more creatively. And on Fridays, we talk art. Two FT journalists and I discuss a piece of culture that's in the air. New music, movies, and more. Find life and art from FD Weekend, wherever you listen.
0: I'm Michael Silverblatt. This is Bookworm, and I'm talking with Tessa Hadley about her new book, Free Love, in which an after-dinner kiss in a dark garden leads to a family upheaval and breakdown. Um, Now, Tessa, around midway through this book, and we're not going to give revelations, but the book entirely allows for the family to truly undergo a calamitous upheaval, almost of, you know, an Oedipal sort. When Oedipus discovers that he has killed his father and is making love to his mother, this book, Free Love, has a astonishing incident that defines its entire second half, we are not going to spoil things except to ask you, did you know when you started that this book would have such an astonishing upheaval?
1: Yes, I did. It was almost miraculous getting the story for this novel. Usually a novel is quite a fraught and complex business in advance of starting to write. I've got bits of it all over the place and I don't know where it's going. This one, it sort of fell into my lap all of a piece, almost suspiciously. I was almost a bit afraid of starting it in case it was going to reveal some gaping hole at its centre or something. No, I got... That there is this secret up its sleeve, and I had that from the beginning. I'm not sure I could have written the book right if I hadn't known that from the start.
0: I want to acknowledge to my listeners that when I'm talking about free love, I'm talking about a book that as you sink into it and accept it and grow into its rhythms, you will be entirely shaken up. If that is telling too much, I don't think it is. I would like you to do the best you can and tell me how you managed to allow your homemaker, your dutiful, pretty homemaker, as the book flap calls her, Phyllis, to become an utter alternative. I can see this in life. It happened in life. How do you make it happen in a novel?
2: I
1: I almost think she's the very person to whom it would happen. And maybe those mirrors are part of the clue, aren't they? We do open with her, the ultimate, pretty, charming bourgeois housewife making herself up in front of the mirror. And I think there's a sort of genius of performance in her. So when she then, having fallen in love with Nikki, Becomes another person who goes around barefoot and dances to Bob Dylan in the shadows, you know, and and <laughs> rolls the joints better than Nikki can. Uh, she's going to do that equally well. She's going to give all that sort of genius of becoming that she had when she was the one thing into this new self, and and I I almost think like a a cleverer more founded person, like her daughter, who has a completely... I mean, she also undergoes transformations. Of course she does. She's 15. She, her business is being transformed. But actually, she's solider. She, she has a core of self that is much more strongly defined than Phyllis's. But this isn't to be rude about Phyllis. I, I think we, we can be startled at coolness in Phyllis, as she steps out of oneself and into another a little bit weightlessly. I mean, I mean, not, you know, it hurts. She isn't insensible, but nonetheless, she we, we can be a little startled at that. But I do hope that quite a lot of readers will love her for it as well. I, I want, I, and I also think at that moment in our cultural history, women did do that. And what they thought they were stepping into was something so much happier so much better. Now, it took a couple of decades after that for the the painful friction, the consequences. No, nothing in life is without cost. But I actually think for a lot of people in 1967, they thought a change, a total, utter rewrite was possible without cost.
0: Your novel, Free Love, does not judge its characters. Phyllis does change, and sometimes in dramatically painful ways, even horrifying ones. But the book does not say that this is a better Phyllis or a worse Phyllis. Mm. It's a different Phyllis. And so is the culture around her. Even her husband, who works with the foreign office, undergoes a change and has to recognize certain things about the attitudes from his past that allowed him to neglect the very shocking truths that occur midway through the book. In other words, the book is pleading the humanity of its characters, and that's one of the things that the 60s, pleaded about its countercultural humans. We are human. We are trying to live a life that's more meaningful to our humane perceptions. And that's what this book attempts to do. I, I, I loved reading it. I can't think of other books that quite capture the truths of this particular period with so much Eloquence, and you're do, you're quite right. Even when we're shocked by Phyllis, I think we do love her.
1: I'm so glad you say that. Yes, yes, and and you're right. I mean, all all the novels I love, even if they set out to be judgmental. Famously, didn't Tolstoy write Anna Karenina, intending to create a monstrous woman, and then look what he did? You know, one of the most sympathetic heroines of history. Uh, books, novels, are not good at judging they they are good at watching and they just watch and what when, when i you know find a subject which seems to me rich and ripe for for writing i'm thinking there's so much story in that i'm not thinking look at the outrage of it or look at the heroism of that man it's it's that's there's a, there are other spheres or aesthetic expressions that that deal with that stuff but the novel, what the novel is good at, is is always just just watching the nuances of people struggling to be.
0: Yes, yeah, struggling to become something they have the misfortunate gift of thinking of as themselves, when possibly there is no such thing as oneself. There's only what you find as the result of the struggle. I, I am talking with. Tessa Hadley. She is the author of the novel Free Love. I am indebted to Jane Byrne, a publicist at HarperCollins, for making me read this book as soon as she had copies. I loved reading it. It's published by HarperCollins. Thank you, Tessa Hadley. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you, Michael. Lovely to talk to you again.
0: I think so, too. When will your next book be out? I want to talk to you right away. I don't want to wait this long. We waited two books in between the last
1: one. It's only a twinkle in my eye and a a few thousand words on a page. I have a book of short (laughs) stories coming out, so... Maybe we can make that an excuse and I can come and see you in L.A.
0: That would be beautiful. I want to tell my listeners that due to the pandemic, we're not facing each other. We're each taping remotely. Tessa is in London right now. You may hear in the background the unusual sounds of our separate environments. You can visit kcrw.com bookworm for a podcast of today's show, also available at all podcast services, believe it or not, and on demand with KCRW smartphone apps. If you haven't already, become a KCRW member. This kind of book show, I keep saying it, but you're not going to find it elsewhere anymore. This is a show devoted truly to the art of fiction and poetry and begging you all to restore yourselves to the art of reading. Special thanks to Bookworm Show collaborators Alan Howard and Sean Sullivan, without whom this show could not proceed, Engineer P.J. Shahamet, and I am Michael Silverblatt. Please join me again next time on Bookworm. I am a bookworm, he is a bookworm, she is a bookworm,
1: we are all bookworms.
0: Funds for Bookworm are provided in part by Lannan Foundation. This program is produced in the studios of KCRW Santa Monica. You can access archives of all Bookworm programs and podcasts, the most recent ones, at kcrw.com slash bookworm. The Bookworm themes were composed and performed by Ron and Russell Mayle of Sparks. this, this,
2: this, this. I am a bookworm, he is a bookworm, she is a bookworm.